the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. As we head into hour three, we do, I don't know if there's a more prolific man in uh, this business, but uh, if there is, I don't know him or her, man or woman. Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert is the author of Winning Space, How America Remain, Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He's a uh, contributing editor over at... Uh, at uh, 1945, 1945.com. Brad, you must write like four columns a week. It's hard to keep I do. I, well, I write four columns a day. Oh, my gosh. For, for 1945, and I'm, I'm actually a senior editor there. Se- what did I call and you? I'm sorry. Yeah, contributing. contributing yeah, I meant senior. Sorry, sorry, I really sorry. don't. We talked about this last yeah, time. I don't really yeah. care, but apparently some people do. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but yeah, I'm a senior editor there, and I do four columns a week, and then I do my rolling column over at Washington Times. Uh, which tends to be more like once or twice a month. Uh, and then I try to get American greatness, but, uh, you know, I just, that's, that's always a stretch now because I'm doing four articles per day. Unbelievable. Uh, but, but then I also do the Asia Times as well, where I'm pretty much almost nowadays exclusively covering the Ukraine war. Yeah. Uh, and so that's usually about once or twice a month as well now. Unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm yeah, everywhere. I don't know if, I, don't, I really don't you know can't if four me. columns a day. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Yeah. <laughs> Four columns a day. They yeah. Want, they once asked William Buckley how he did three columns a week. He says he just reads the New York Times and gets ticked off. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I won't pay for the New York Times. Yeah, I so get I can't, it. I, can't. <laughs> I get it. I'll tell you. There's, a enough, lo- there's <sighs> enough percolating in my brain, I think, where I can just sort of sprout off about anything. Yes, there is. <laughs> uh, and yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'd like to take a tour through some of your recent columns. Before we do that, I woke up to some tweets saying Emmanuel Macron was being highly irresponsible in his recent visit to China. I guess he gave an interview on the way back where he said such things as uh, not wanting to be a vassal to the United States. Uh, He gave some language. He put out some language that looks like it puts Taiwan at risk. The question Europeans need to answer, is it our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan? No. Uh, Ukraine, he said, we're not. We're, we we shouldn't be getting too much more involved there. How does he want to be a third power? If he I, anyway, your take on all this, Brandon? Well, this isn't anything new. This is going back to Charles de Gaulle. This this yeah. was a pretty pretty standard French objective was to be sort of the middleman, the the great middle power between back then the Soviets and the and the United States, and now. It seems that Macron is trying very much to stay in keeping with that French tradition uh, of staying as a middle power now between the Chinese and the Americans. Um, so this really isn't that surprising. I think what what should surprise everyone is what precipitated this. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the, the, there's the the Ukrainian the the pro Ukrainian bots on Twitter are going off on me about how, no, this is entirely internal. This has nothing to do with what's going on in Ukraine. Well, no, this is not because of the protests in France. 
Um, the, everything that's going on with France and in France right now is a result on some level, and I don't mean to sound like the world revolves around us, but in this particular case, it's because of American policy. Um, so U.S. foreign policy towards France vis-a-vis the Ukraine war, where we know for a fact that neither Paris nor Berlin were ever fully on board with agitating Russia over Ukraine in the way that the Americans and the British and Brussels were. Okay. Uh, we, we know that. And so the French did not have the ability to stop or slow walk the inevitable conflict that erupted uh, from Russia and America dancing off with each other uh, in Europe. So what they're trying to do now is to put distance between themselves and the Americans without aggravating the Americans too much uh, in order to buy time and create a, a diplomatic and economic space for which France can operate relatively freely from American influence to build bridges and, you know, metaphorically speaking, with Beijing. Because France recognizes that Beijing is the future global leader in the economy, and they want to get in on the ground floor, and they're trying to muscle the Americans out. They're trying to complicate the Americans' ability to potentially, as, as Macron said, uh, provoke a crisis with China prematurely over Taiwan, although I really don't think that's what's going on. But I do think that some European leaders think the Americans are trying to provoke crises with big state rivals. Oh, his statement had a minimum was a suck-up to China, though, when it came yes. to the oh, Taiwan quote. Absolutely. Yeah, it was There's a suck-up. No yeah. But this is, part of a, this is part of a larger move by France, not only to distance itself from America, but it's sort of getting back at America for what it thinks is irresponsible foreign policy as it relates to provoking Russia and Ukraine. One other thing, this is also, and I warned about this two years ago in the Asia Times, uh, this, was, uh, this is a revenge play for France because they're PO'd that the Americans muscled in on Australia in 2021 with the AUKUS submarine deal. Yeah. Before that, the French were charged with solely right. developing and selling yep. submarines to the Australian Navy, but the French weren't delivering, and they weren't delivering at cost, so the Americans and the Brits stepped in and said, we'll provide you nuclear submarines at cost in a shorter amount of time, but you have to sign an exclusive deal with U.S. and English joint defense contractors. And the Australians did that, and that really screwed up Macron, and that really hurt the French economy and their defense sector. So for the last two years, Macron has been trying to figure out how he can stick it to Uncle Sam, and here you go. He's now going to sidle up to the Chinese. And you can bet you the Germans are going to follow suit. You're going to have the largest, most important, sophisticated, indigenous European military on the continent, uh, France, sidling up to China. And then at the same time, you've got the most important economy in Europe, Germany, following France's lead soon, sidling up to China. This is not good. And this is entirely because of feckless, short-sighted U.S. foreign policy as it relates to Europe. It does strike me that if you are a country, and you're really anywhere, and you've done a lot of work with the United States of late, you see the United States retreat, in retreat, and you see China on the rise. It does seem to me you might want to play both ends. Um, He doesn't seem to be doing a good job of it. Playing both ends mean you don't tick off or uh, you don't tick off your, 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 your current ally. But a friend of mine said, uh, a friend of mine who knows Europe pretty well said, don't, don't, don't put too much stock in it because France 
is really irrelevant to the entire geopolitical situation. I, I wonder if if I, I don't agree. With okay. That. I, okay. I, I I think that France is, is the nuclear power. So by yeah. definition, it, yeah. It, it's, yeah. No, I I disagree with that. And I think that this has been that this that kind of thinking has is why we are in the position where we're in. Um, that kind of thinking, with all due respect, is is we were very dismissive and. And our allies, particularly Western European allies, are very sensitive to this idea that they're merely vassals to the Americans. And when we go around, you know, for the last 20 years, and I'm by no means am I sticking up for France because I think that they're they're annoyance uh, many of the times as well. But I think it's important to note that we don't really treat particularly France or Germany as actual allies. We do treat them as more like vassal states. Uh-huh. And so they're keenly aware of that. And you have in Germany, like I said, they may not be a great military power, though they could be if they really wanted to be. Uh, they're, they're, they're a great economic power, and they are certainly a dynamic and important component of the economy globally. And then you've got in France this very long and rich tradition of militarism. They've got a very sophisticated and large military for Europe. Um, and so you've got those two countries with these rich histories of great power status. They've been reduced to a middle power at best. They're very sensitive to the way the Americans treat them because they need us, obviously, but they also don't like when they get physically or visibly, rather, pushed around by us. And lately we've been doing a lot of that, going back to the Iraq War. Um, you know, and I hate to say this, but catch more flies with honey type thing. I don't think we always need to be humiliating them. Uh, and then expect them to just be okay with it. Yeah. They're going to do things uh, yeah. to hurt us. Well, it's another reason why they might be looking around to another superpower uh, yes. to attach this. Let me take a quick uh, commercial break, and uh, Brandon Weikert and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delight to have, delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He is a uh, senior editor at uh, 1945.com. He is also a columnist with the Washington Times and the Asia Times. I'd love to go through some of your uh, published articles, but you were kind enough to talk to me about what you'll be uh, spouting off, spouting off <laughs> on, weighing in on. That was not, I, I don't, I, forgive me, long weekend. Uh, I'm getting my sea legs back, Brandon. Uh, weighing in on um, tomorrow, and it's about China, as long as we're there, China and the Middle East, right? Yeah, yeah. Talk so to that, me about this, that. This yeah. article will be appearing uh, online at the Washington Times probably in the afternoon tomorrow, and then it'll be in the print edition uh, the next morning. So Wednesday morning is when it'll be in print. Um, so basically, give your audience a preview. China made a big, bold play, as we talked about before, for the Middle East, uh, and they've basically captured the Middle East now for themselves uh, by getting the two great powers of the region, Iran and Saudi Arabia, who've been at war with each other for going back to 2013 at least, of course, historically, Shiite and Sunni have gone, been at war with each other for centuries, and Saudi Arabia is Sunni and Iran is Shiite. But, but the, the Chinese have managed to broker uh, a peace deal, and they basically ended the little Cold War that has existed uh, between Iran and Saudi Arabia. What this has done is it's freed up the Iranians to be able to redirect all of their ire and their focus away from the Saudis and to focus it squarely on the Israelis, which is what they're doing. 
Uh, not surprising, before the ink was even dried on this Chinese broker deal, the Hezbollah, Iranian-backed Hezbollah in Lebanon, were popping off rockets this last weekend uh, into, into Israel. So, you know, we were told that China's moving in and it's going to be peace, love, and happiness, unlike when the Americans were the dominant power in the region. Well, it turns out that's completely wrong. And what I say in the article, what I argue is that this is actually part of a larger move, that the, the Iranians are being allowed by China to basically initiate hostilities with Israel as part of a larger plan by Beijing to isolate the U.S. American, uh, the U.S. Democratic ally of Israel, isolate them from the Americans. They're already being isolated by Joe Biden, who doesn't like Netanyahu. Uh, and they're already see seeing this chaos from the, the, the Supreme Court, Israeli Supreme Court protests. So now China is using the Iranian proxy to put pressure on Israel to isolate them from American power and to basically create a situation wherein Netanyahu has no choice but to say, I can't rely on the Americans to protect me from Iran. I don't necessarily have the military power to be able to project military force into Iran if they're going to really go to war with me. I can't rely on the Saudis and the Sunnis anymore to help me out because now they're buddies with Iran. So I'm going to have to turn to the regional benefactor, China, and I'm going to have to beg them to help me keep the peace before the, the Iranians and their armies potentially, you know, you know, wipe us out or, or do significant damage. And the price of that play for China, what they're going to demand from Netanyahu, is complete unfettered access to Israel's wonderful Silicon Wadi, which is their form of Silicon Valley. China is this is people think that China going into Saudi Arabia and Iran is all about natural gas and oil. It certainly is. But that is a near term concern. China wants to dominate the fourth industrial revolution, biotech, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, 5G, 6G Internet, you name it. They want to dominate it. And according to Australian uh, an Australian think tank, China dominates 37 out of the 44 key industries needed to be the main the main uh, fourth industrial revolution power. And so now China's looking beyond their own uh, country, and they're trying to partner with countries that are developing similar fourth industrial revolutionary innovation zones. Saudi Arabia is one of them. They're trying to diversify away from oil and reinvest that money into creating their own Silicon Valley. Huawei just moved their headquarters to Riyadh uh, for the Middle East. Why? Because they want access to that budding fourth industrial revolutionary uh, technological uh, innovation hub. And now I think the longer term plan is to get their hands on the much more innovative Israeli Silicon Valley, what's known as Silicon Wadi. Uh, it's desert in, in uh, Arabic. Wadi is desert. And I think the long term plan is to cut the Israelis off from the Americans by using the Iranians to pressure uh, Israel, to force Israel to come to China and say, please help us. And then Xi Jinping goes, I will gladly help you, buddy, but you got to give me your tech. And I think that's the play. It's Brandon, is the uh, effort that China has made, the success thus far China has made in warming relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia, is that viewed whether it be in uh, the Middle East or Asia or elsewhere, maybe even Europe, is that viewed anywhere as akin to the way we viewed some of the Abraham Accords as jaw-droppingly impressive, as jaw-droppingly uh, Pulitzer, Nobel Peace Prize winning of an accomplishment status, uh, or or is it of, of somewhat lesser significance or being played as somewhat less significant? Because to me, it seems like a hell of an accomplishment. 
Yeah, so you're, it is. And the reason that you're not hearing Nobel Peace Prize talk is because it makes the Americans and the West look really bad because we had 50 years to figure this stuff out and we couldn't, we didn't want to, whatever, but we didn't. And so the Chinese, for a fraction of what we paid for in the Middle East for the last 20 years, the Chinese came in in a fraction of the time with a fraction of the, the investment and no blood, and they basically completely ripped two-thirds of the Middle East away from us and put it into their camp. And you can bet that final third, Israel, is going to be in such a bad way soon that they might not have any choice but to become buddy-buddy with China because America under Biden is humiliating Netanyahu. I think this whole protest thing, I don't know if you saw these leaks, but I think this whole protest thing uh, in the streets of Israel, I think it's being orchestrated by left-wing American intelligence and, and, and sympathizers in Israel who don't like Netanyahu. Yes, we know that Biden hates Netanyahu. We know he wants to go back to the Iran nuclear agreement, and Netanyahu doesn't. And so Biden automatically dislikes the Israeli government right now. So Israel has nowhere to turn. And it doesn't really matter if Netanyahu is in power, because the previous government— uh, what was it, uh, Bennett, Natalie yeah, Bennett, yeah. Um, they also were having difficulty with Biden, with the Americans, who just don't, under Democrats, they don't like Israel. They don't. And it doesn't even matter if it's the Iran issue. It goes, goes also to this Palestinian issue. The Democrats do not like Israel, and they want to see Israel basically broken in half, I think. And uh, so this is playing into these calculations. China knows this. So to answer your question, this is a big deal. Yeah, it's yeah. not being treated as that because it's embarrassing for us. But history will remember not the Abraham Accords because basically China got Saudi Arabia to abandon the, the Abraham That's right. Accords That's right. in order to work with China and Iran. Uh, and now, by the way, Russia's now moving in on behalf of China, and they're bringing Syria into the fold. And now Turkey, a NATO ally, is uh, a NATO member, is now moving in and saying, we now need to work together, China, Russia, Iran, and the Sunni states as led by Saudi Arabia, and we need to crush the Israelis. So what you see now is Israel's enemy surrounding her. The Americans are completely checked out and unreliable. And you know, it's going to be a it's World War Three, I think, is really going to start there. And that's what the Shadow War, my second book, is all about. Yeah. While, while we're there and as a transition or at least maybe as a merger to your column about Joe Biden at 1945, I wanted to talk to you. Let me take a quick commercial break. Sure. When we come back, Joe Biden famously said in um, 2019 that uh, I think he said, come on, man, when someone proposed that China was eating our lunch. Uh, they can't even figure out this and that, he said. But, boy, you just outlined, listening to you or others on China, it, you get the sense they're eating not just our lunch, everyone's lunch. Was Joe Biden wrong about that as monumentally as it sounds, Brandon? We'll talk about that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, uh, among many other things. He is a geopolitical analyst, and he is, uh, of course, a senior editor at 1945.com. 
Uh, Brandon, uh, Joe Biden famously doubted or scoffed at the idea is the better way to put it, that China could eat our lunch in 2019. He said, come <laughs> on, man, they can't even figure out how to deal with the fact that they have a great division. Um, anyway, you take the point. And now, I mean, you just listen to it and you just wonder if China is eating not just our lunch, but maybe our lunch and our breakfast and everyone else's, too. Is that an overstatement? Did he monumentally get this wrong? Uh, he gets everything wrong, Seth. So, I mean, and, and sometimes you wonder, is it incompetence? Or sometimes you wonder if, judging from the Hunter Biden yeah. scandal ongoing, yeah. is this purposeful? Right. Because I don't know. He, you know, Biden has people in his administration like Kirk Campbell who are hawks on China, who are very well versed in what, and who have in the past admitted to being duped by China when Kirk Campbell was advising Obama not to respond to the island building, the man-made island building that China was doing, the right. South China Sea. So Kirk Campbell is a key advisor, to, or he was at least. I don't know. He might have left recently. But Biden has people, some people around him, who actually understand to some degree the Chinese threat. So this idea that, that he was making that comment, I remember when he made it, I don't know if he was saying that because he's just an idiot, which of course is possible, or if he was saying it because he's you know, bought and paid for by the People's Republic of China, which, again, I think is more than likely, or if it's just because he was saying it just to make people feel better, because the whole point of Biden's campaign in 2020, and if he runs again in 2024, is to contrast his so-called stability with Trump's so-called chaos and instability. Mm, yeah. Well, talk to me about your latest talk to the audience about your latest uh, column. It goes to some of that, the real Joe Biden scandal. It said he never was what people said he was, right? Or no, no. The guy has a minimum net worth of $9 million. Uh, he made $17.5 million from 2017 until 2019. So for the four years that he was out of office, vice president, the vice presidency and becoming president, he made $17.5 million uh, from book deals, think tank jobs, teaching positions that I doubt he ever showed up for, uh, and various media appearances, speeches, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and Jill did as well. His, his wife was also making, I think she made like, I think seven or eight million dollars, maybe it was four million dollars. I don't have the article in front of me, but, but she made several million dollars from book deals and public speaking engagements because, you know, she's a doctor. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so so he made a boatload of money. So there's been this and it's not just during that time, though. He left office with about nine million dollars net worth. Um, he was making about two hundred and twenty five K as vice president for eight years. You do the math. He made he was topping out at about, I think, like, I think one seventy five or two hundred K as a senator. He was there for what, 32 years. Yep. Um, so this since he ran for office the first time. He was the age, I think, 29. Yes, that's right, 1971, too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's 29 years old. So the man has never had a real job. Mm -hmm. And he goes into office in 1972 when the median salary for families in the United States was something like 11000 Yeah, that's right. It was eleven or so thousand bucks. So that's right. There might have been a typo. I might have not explained it better because there's some complaints on the Internet about it. I, I said he topped out at 155 k in the Senate. Um, that was toward the end. I should have said that, yes, he was making about 43K a year initially as a senator. Mm -hmm. But the point is he was making three times yeah. the national average. Right. So this idea that he's blue-collar Joe Biden because his mom and dad were blue-collar Catholic types in Delaware, that is ridiculous. What he has done is he has fashioned this 
typical mid-20th century political huckster persona about, oh, I'm Mr. The Man of the People, while he's living this lavish lifestyle, unlike Trump, who made it on his own as a businessman, Biden made it as a government employee, as a rep- elected representative of we the people. He got money. Now, he says I was the poorest member of Congress my entire career. But he was still making he was still making infinitely more money than yep. I ever made. You know, <laughs> m- you know, much more money than, than my parents made, who are don't they don't they only have a high school degree. Uh, you know, both my parents graduated high school. That was it. So this idea uh, that, you know, that is a man of the people. And then you have to think about this made him susceptible, likely, to foreign influence yeah, peddling, which sure. is what the Hunter Biden scandal was about. All right. Let me take a quick break. We'll come right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. We'll get an update on the goings-on in Ukraine, the importance of these leaks that everyone's writing about. I don't know that we know the origin of them just yet, but Brandon will give us everything he knows when we come right Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. His books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Uh, the, uh, these things are, are fascinating in Washington, D.C. Uh, they create a lot of debate there, Brandon, but it looks like they also might have uh, some geopolitical and foreign defense policy or foreign uh, international relations policy side effects to them too, and I'm talking about these leaks that everyone is is uh, is up in arms about or uh, talking about um, about Ukraine and exposing what we know and how we get to know it in our spying on both Russia and the Ukraine. Anything you want on this, feel free, please. Well, isn't it first of all, isn't it interesting that this is the worst case of massive intelligence leaks yep. since the Ed Snowden event? Yep which happened about a decade ago. Yep. And who was the president and vice president then? Yep. Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Yep. Many of the same people running our national security establishment today were also running the national security establishment 10 years ago when the Snowden leaks happened. Kind of interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's nothing to it. Maybe it's everything. Then the other thing I would add, and by the way, I don't trust these people as far as I can throw them. Right. Uh, and and the, I would also add this. Um, I suspect the leaks came from our side of the of the of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I suspect that it was it was initially dumped on Discord servers. Servers uh, that tends to be uh, a lot of military guys will will hang out there in their free time. Uh, they're like gamer servers and stuff. So I suspect this is either somebody is leaking this stuff uh, as part of a larger covert movement to maybe. Uh, try to end America's role uh, in Ukraine or to, to get a, a deal to end Ukraine. It's just maybe some kind of a backdoor attempt by people in the Biden administration. Or possibly this is a rogue element, uh, a group of, of military people or a military person who has access to this information is very concerned that we are drifting into nuclear world war over the Ukraine war and is trying to leak information in order to shape public opinion with the hope that it will force us into a negotiated settlement and avert said nuclear war with Russia over Ukraine. Or this could be that spiring. I mean, people forget that Ed Snowden, I am convinced, uh, was a cutout for a larger uh, Russian spiring that had burrowed mm-hmm. deep, mm-hmm. deep into Fort Meade, the mm-hmm. National Security Agency, uh, 2010 
we were all talking about this. Uh, uh, 2010 was when the great bull hunt at Fort Meade was going on, and it all just sort of ended, and we have no idea what the resolution was. Um, well, I suspect there were very high elements maybe in the NSA or in contractors that do business with the NSA that might have been compromised by this Russian spy ring uh, that uh, uh, was, was trying to gain access to critical information uh, and possibly a member of that spy ring that was never dealt with uh, leaked this. But the point is, is this is being leaked to stop the Americans from continuing their current course of action in Ukraine. Now, personally... I, I think that we do need to start ratcheting this thing down. Uh, I think this thing is getting out of hand, especially when you've got China now banging on Taiwan's doorstep. Um, and by the way, they are going to go in very soon, I think. Uh, we're going to be bogged down in Ukraine. Uh, but, but the fact is these leaks are designed. These are, these are designed to stop a policy that whoever leaked it doesn't like. And I don't believe it was a, it was a foreign intelligence service that had access to this. I don't believe it was a random thing. I think this was an American or group of Americans. The question is, whose interests were they serving? Were they serving their own political agenda out of some kind of misplaced self, sense of self-consciousness or, or righteousness? Was this a, a group serving a foreign power like Russia, a Russian spying? Or was this a group serving the Biden administration where the Bidens were trying to shape policy, shape public perception without fully coming out against their own policy in Ukraine? That's the question that we need to answer. And I don't think we're ever going to get an answer on this any more than we got a satisfactory answer on Snowden. Or before that, you know, I, maybe I'm wrong. There are elements in our movement uh, that are supportive or somewhat supportive of these kinds of open information kinds of uh, document dumps. I remember quite clearly in 05 when Donna Priest at The Washington Post and Eric Lichtblau yep. at The New York Times, when they were blowing our Black Sites program, they were blowing our terrorist financing program, anti-financing program, they were blowing all kinds of things. I wanted something done. A handful of us did, but a lot of people, you know, ended up uh, ended up praising them. I believe they got Pulitzer prizes for it. And then, of course, a lot of people on our side were supportive of some of this stuff that was coming out from uh, from Snowden at all. I am I wrong? I'm just I'm not opposed. I think the American people have a right not to know, and I think the classified intel, especially wartime classified intel, is important to keep classified. I, I think generally, I I mean I agree with you generally, and I was uh, back then very upset with it, and I I don't think there was really any purpose. To those leaks, at the same time, though, well, there was, uh, and it was to embarrass Bush, I think. Right, right, and and right, but but at the but same it had time, real consequences. No, so it does, it does. At the same time, though, I I do think that our foreign policy is on autopilot, and we need to do something uh, to to force a change because. But you knew that you, you knew that Friday, you didn't need these leaks. No, of course not. Of right, course not. these leaks. Right. Which is why he gets back. I think the more interesting question is the who done it. Yeah. You know, it's one yeah. of those three options. Yeah. It's either a Russian intelligence uh, operative deep in our system, which is an even bigger problem, and of course it's not yep. going to be addressed. No. Nope. Or it's 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 a, it's people of conscience maybe misplaced who think we can't we can't get through to the president, so we're going to have to do this the public way. Okay, I get that. I don't appreciate it. I mean, I don't approve it, but I can appreciate that to a lesser degree. Yep. Uh, or or it's the somebody loyal to Biden who's like. We can't, we can't get the you know, president to say this out loud because he's so committed. But if we do this through a third yeah. party, 
we can shape it. But in either yeah, case, we'll save him again. Yeah, right. We'll we'll defend his case, honor, which is more than he can do for himself. Right, yeah, right. because it wasn't except it wasn't just Ukraine that no, was leaked. Right. We know about these these Israeli right. things that right. were leaked. This right. is this is highly damaging to U.S. So. foreign policy, and you have to ask why. Well, I, I, we will ask intended? why, and our allies will keep asking why America can't keep its secrets, and we will have less. Uh, Brandon Weikert, you're the best man. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. I appreciate you so much. Follow him on. On Twitter at we the Brandon we the Brandon, uh, I'm Seth. I'll be back with a final thought. Thank you, Brandon. We'll talk uh, next you, week. Okay. God bless. Folks, uh, you've heard about how Biden's doing with foreign policy. How's he doing with the economy, with the bank failures and the stock market volatility and a possible rece- uh, recession on the on the horizon? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. True freedom. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. Your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. I'm talking about my friends at Y-Refi, and I'd like you to talk to them, too, if this interests you. They're local. You can visit with them. I know them well. You won't get a sales pitch. Totally uh, above, uh, above board, honest, trustworthy folks. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10 and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. It'll be interesting to see if it turns out these were anti-Biden efforts to leak this classified material, because if they were, it'll be equally interesting to see if the Department of Justice decides to do anything about it. I was, as mentioned to Brandon, uh, I was really hip on this stuff in 05 and 06, where a handful of us uh, got to credit uh, Scott Johnson and John Hinderocker at Powerline, uh, and a few of us in D.C., we were really writing a ton about how damaging it was that the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal were just doing uh, doing pirouettes about how proud they were with disclosing classified wartime intelligence, national security classified intelligence that blew our anti-terrorism financing program and exposed our allies uh, who were who were housing some of these high-value detainees, as they were called, other word for terrorist, like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. You know why KSM is in 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 um, in uh, in Guantanamo, because he wasn't. He was in Europe until you know the major media exposed our allies who were holding him on our behalf and at our request. Now you know they blew a lot of programs. They embarrassed a lot of allies. Here we are again, and no one would prosecute. No one wanted to prosecute on these things to try and stop them. And well, here we are. Now the Biden administration is uh, exposed uh, with its pants down on this stuff, and it'll be interesting to see. If the DOJ does decide to go after any of this, um, if they do, then I would hope that conservatives and Republicans like myself who were pushing for the DOJ to go after him in 05 and 06 will stay on board. It's a principle here that is worth maintaining and adhering to. 
despite what administration said. Remember the Pentagon Papers case. Nixon happened under Nixon, but it was about intelligence under Johnson. There should be no partisanship on this issue, and we should go after these leakers. I am Seth. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.